Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with the permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday the 16th of May 2019, here at Colin Chance House in Worcester. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition, and with me to read the articles are Paddy Fellows and Moira Lowe. Our sound engineer is Barry Hurd. A warm welcome to all listeners, especially new ones. I hope everyone enjoys our offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, readers' letters, birthdays, on this day, and thought for the week. Obituaries are still included, but following listeners' requests, these have moved to a new spot following the closing music. So if you wish to hear them, please stay tuned then. Don't also forget the podcast which is available. Inquiries to the number which you will hear quite soon. Also, do let us know your birthday so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free for users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone, Worcester 01905 767 766 or add a note to your wallet. We do ask listeners that if there's any problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. Birthdays. Well, we have just one this week on the 22nd of May, and it's Gillian Mann. So happy birthday, Gillian, when the day comes. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. I'm going to ask Paddy to read our thought for the week. Which is from Matthew 10, verse 42. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he certainly will not lose his reward. Thank you, Paddy. Now those useful telephone numbers I mentioned. Out of hours medical help, 6 to 8 p.m., 0300 2311 NHS non-emergency 111 Worcester Live that's Swan Theatre Huntingdon Hall and the Henry Sandon Hall Worcester 01905 611427 Malvern Theatre 01684 892277 Worcester Hub for Council Matters, 
01905 765 765 or 72233. Crime Stoppers 0800 555 111 and Samaritans 116123 which is a free phone number. Well now I'll ask the team to introduce themselves as they read the week's headline articles. So we start with me and here's the headline and its article from Friday, May the 10th. Mayor's donor battle to save his daughter. It's down to me. Those are the words of the Mayor of Worcester as he awaits test results which will reveal whether he can donate a kidney to potentially save the life of his young daughter. Councillor Jabba Riaz's two and a half year old daughter, Zoya, was diagnosed with congenital nephrotic syndrome in January 2017 and both of her parents were initially identified as possible matches. The Cathedral Ward Councillor and his wife, Sajida Begum, then embarked on a gruelling bid to lose weight last summer to give them the best chance of avoiding complications during surgery. However, with Zoya's mum being later ruled out as a match, Councillor Riaz emerged as his daughter's best chance and told us yesterday, it's down to me. In the meantime, the toddler's condition is improving and her medication has been reduced, which doctors have said is extraordinary for her age and condition. Her kidneys aren't leaking as much protein as before and she's full of life, said Councillor Riaz. We can see on graphs her kidneys are still deteriorating, but not as much as before. Zoya has spent the majority of her life with doctors prodding and poking her, which she has got used to, said Councillor Riaz. But he added, I'm sure it will be a relief not to have to have injections, though, as she does always start to cry when that happens. He said his daughter also must be woken up repeatedly in the night to ensure she gets medication at specific times while she is very susceptible to infections and often has a cold. With the help of John <coughs> Clark and his team at Worcester Personal Training Studio, Fit360, Councillor Riaz, who will be replaced as mayor on Tuesday when the new city council meets, has lost around 10 kilograms since July in order to get into the ideal BMI range for the operation. In April, he had second stage testing at Queen Elizabeth Hospital, Birmingham, and if the results come back positive, he will move into the final stages, which include CT scans before a potential operation in February or March. My daughter's condition has improved and they've delayed the operation, which was originally going to be September, which means me staying on the straight and narrow a bit longer, he said. Making drastic lifestyle changes for a full year has been the hardest part, 
while trying to balance my work life and council life and family life. You go to all these mayoral events where there's always food and you have to really fight against the temptation. Weighing around 102 kilograms last summer, Councillor Riaz was told he needed to get down to between 85 and 88 kilograms. And with operation dates changing twice, he's had ups and downs, but has remained within the target range. Mr Clark has put the mayor through his paces with group high-intensity interval training sessions as well as one-to-one heavy lifting mixed with practical exercises. When he started, it was a standing start. He didn't do much sport, said the personal trainer. As with everybody, the first couple of weeks, it's hard to know how hard to push yourself and how to get the most out of the sessions. He said that since then, the mayor has shown plenty of inner strength and should now be able to stay in shape in the long run and not just for the operation. For the first time in his life, Councillor Riaz has been able to go running, completing an unofficial half marathon in two hours and five minutes. He said, I just have to stay focused because there's been a combination of ups and downs. But John has told me, as long as your average weight is below where you started, you're on the right path. Life's a roller coaster. Things happen. You might decide you can't make training one day, and then you decide to have an extra piece of cake. All these little things add up. But you're just fooling yourself. These little decisions make a difference to the numbers on the scales. Councillor Riaz wanted to thank everyone who has sent him messages of support over the last year. Hello, I'm Moira. My headline is from Saturday, May the 11th, and it's Let Us Stay. HMV's managing director says the door is still open to resurrect talks with the shop's Worcester landlord in the hope of saving the city centre store. As it stands, negotiations with the landlord have broken down and the store will close in the near future, a spokesman for the retailer said. Earlier this week, posters appeared on the shop saying store closing, everything must go. And in a statement, Neil Taylor, HMV's managing director, confirmed that the store is shutting down with the final date yet to be agreed. Mr Taylor blamed the impending closure on a failure to reach agreement with the landlord on the terms of our lease at this property. Sunrise Records bought HMV in February after the music, DVDs and games retailer went into administration. And Mr Taylor said that at the time he believed a deal could be struck with the Worcester store's landlord to keep the shop open long term. However, now Mr Taylor has said... Following the purchase of the business on February the 5th, we believe that we could reach agreement with the landlord at this site. However, negotiations have led us to enter closed-down mode, which is not what we wanted. Our door is still open to the landlord should they wish to agree a deal that would allow us to remain in Worcester at our current location. I would like to thank all of our loyal customers for their support and also the staff at HMV Worcester for their dedication and hard work. HMV would not provide details on the reason for the negotiations breakdown. Although HMV sits at the front of Crowngate Shopping Centre on the High Street, Crown Estates, which owns the shopping centre, is not HMV's landlord. The Worcester News approached HMV, Crown Estates and Worcester City Council in an attempt to find out the identity of the shop's landlord, but the answer was not provided. 
News of the store's impending closure was met with sadness by many Worcester residents. One, Mike Parkin, said, This is a real loss to Worcester. It has has well-informed and enthusiastic staff. People need to use the high street rather than the internet. Andrew Simmons added, Very sad. Where can I buy CDs or DVDs in Worcester now? Roy Felpots added, We all have ourselves to blame, I'm sorry to say, i.e. Spotify, downloads, eBay, music apps. This is Paddy Fellows reading the headline for Monday, May the 13th, and it is about an inspiring little girl. Family are raising cash for a four-year-old girl with severe brain damage. A family from Worcester are raising funds to buy equipment so that their four-year-old girl, who has severe brain damage, can communicate. The Evans family needs special software, iGaze, which will allow Elena to communicate by controlling a cursor with her eyes to use a computer, but it costs £9,000. Elena has a rare form of epilepsy, which is Dravet syndrome, and her heart stopped beating for eight minutes when she was two years old, leaving her with brain damage. She suffers frequent seizures, can't walk, and has issues with speech, sleeping and balance. Her mum, Amanda, who's 38 said, Elaine is a warrior and our inspiration. Elena has been fighting, fighting to live, fighting to relearn skills that she once found so easy and fighting to get answers. Elena first started having seizures at four months old and was diagnosed as epileptic. By the time she was two, she'd had 29 big seizures and two stays in intensive care and then her heart stopped beating. Watching your child have no heartbeat is horrific, Mrs Evans. It was the longest eight minutes of my life. I will never get over what I saw that day, and we were told that Elena might not live. Elena's life and ours has changed forever. Elena now has three to seven seizures a day, which can last up to 12 minutes. Mrs Evans said it's been a massive change to our lives from having two healthy children to having one child who runs around and another who needs 24-hour care. Elena should be running around with her sister Caitlin, driving us bonkers. She should have started swimming lessons and school last September. Elena should not have to go through everything she does every day. Morning stretches, chest physio, being tube-fed, relearning to eat puree, using specialist equipment to sit, stand and walk, trying so hard just to be able to hold a toy or look at something, constant medical appointments, learning to hold up her head, roll and sit and having people guess what she wants and she's trying to say. Despite all the struggles, Elena is a happy girl. She laughs, she loves her family and friends, and she adores music, swimming, her dance class, and being outdoors and going on holiday. 
a just giving page to raise £1,200 towards the cost of the eye gaze has been set up by family friend Fifi Llewellyn with 700 donated so far. The Just Giving page also shares Elena's progress and raises awareness of her condition. Visit bit.ly forward slash 2YKOW4S and there are various pictures of her. She's a dear little girl. So that's Yes. Now Tuesday, May the 14th. Failed boss jailed for his 80,000 VAT fraud. A failed Worcester businessman who fraudulently avoided paying £80,000 in VAT has been jailed for two years. Anthony Howlett, 60, was told that an aggravating feature was that his offences took place over a six-year period for three businesses. He was sentenced after previously pleading guilty to knowingly conspiring in the fraudulent evasion of VAT in Worcester between October the 1st, 2010 and November the 20th, 2016. Howlett obtained VAT credit through uh, submitting false tax returns, the court heard. Daniel Oscroft, prosecuting, told Worcester Crown Court that Howlett had been the sole proprietor in three businesses, Specialist Distribution, AJ Freight Limited and AJ Freight Same Day Limited, and said there was constant activity for VAT repayments, which led to him coming to the notice of the authorities. Mr Oscroft said that in... Total, more than £193,000 was claimed, but through overpayment in the early years of the businesses, the fraudulent activity amounted to £83,252. There is high culpability because it was fraudulent activity over a sustained period of time, Mr Oscroft said. Money was used to help the struggling businesses running at a loss. There is no realistic prospect of recovering something from a confiscation order. If ever there was a time he was in a position to pay money back, an order would be made. Darwin Jones, defending, said having been a delivery driver in 2010, Howlett decided to become the sole director of his own firm. But Mr Jones said Howlett made the naive mistake of relying heavily on one customer for business, an error also repeated for a second firm, AJ Freight Limited, set up with another man who later left. They put all their eggs all into one basket, Mr Jones said. They didn't have ongoing work. The business was not profitable. Howlett was totally out of his depth. Mr Jones said the the third business set up AJ Freight same day had been a last attempt at getting more work. By this stage, he was completely broken as a businessman, Mr Jones said. The offending was an endeavour to prop up failing businesses. There was a lack of sophistication to the offending. He was ill-equipped to run these businesses, In essence, he was a minnow in a large, competitive world. 
Mr Jones added that Howlett of Bedwardine Close, Rushwick, was remorseful and had also suffered because, when both his parents died in quick succession, he used £100,000 of his inheritance to keep the businesses from failing, to no avail. In appealing for any jail sentence to be suspended, Mr Jones added that the divorced dad of two had no intention of returning to the industry. Sentencing Howlett, Judge Nicola Cartwright said the length of time over which Howlett offended was the aggravating factor. It happened in a period of austerity, the judge said. That money could have been used to fund public services which were being cut. The judge said the sentence was 27 months in prison and that legally this could not be suspended. He added that Howlett could expect to serve half the time in jail. A second count of knowingly being involved in the fraudulent evasion of income tax and national insurance contributions was allowed to lie on file. The case was heard at Worcester Crown Court on Friday. Okay. Uh, My headline is from Wednesday, and the headline is Slice of Bad Luck. A man was taken to hospital after the van he was driving crashed through the window of a city centre restaurant. The van careened across Cathedral Square, knocking down the bollard and then hitting Pizza Express's front window at around 8am yesterday. Passers-by told paramedics they thought the man had passed out at the wheel before the crash, which shattered a huge glass window on one side of the restaurant and left shards of glass all over the pavement. Police and firefighters also rushed to the scene to help the man. Dalek Naylor, manager of Knight Frank, which is next door to Pizza Express, described hearing an almighty bang. She said, I thought, oh my God, what's happening? It just missed our window. I was coming up the stairs and thought some furniture had fallen. It was so loud. Can you imagine if that was the afternoon and people were out having food? Mrs Naylor said when she went outside, she saw the van driver being tended to at the back of the vehicle and drinking water. Police tape prevented pedestrians entering much of the square and vehicles were stopped from accessing the multi-storey car park. Though the cordon was removed by 10am along with the van which was taken by a recovery team. Mrs Naylor said a bollard just before the restaurant was knocked down in the crash but was lifted back up. We understand an employee of next department store witnessed the crash and called 999 though she declined to speak to the Worcester News. Mark Rasdell, owner of Mr Sims Sweet Shop, said when he arrived at work the van was wedged inside the restaurant's window and the alarm was ringing. He added, the security guards were running around. As I walked past, a police car came, then a fire engine, then an ambulance. Mr Rasdell said the small white van was stuck half in and half out the window. He said, maybe he was turning into the car park and got it confused. It was quite a long way into the building. Not just that, look at the glass. It could cut you to shreds if you're not careful. Tom Gaunt, owner of House of Coffee, arrived at work at about 7.45am but didn't witness the crash. I heard the police siren, like you do anywhere, then there was the ambulance and the fire brigade. I'm just glad it wasn't in the middle of the day. I definitely didn't hear it happen. What a shame, he added. 
A spokesman for West Midlands Ambulance Service said paramedics were called at 8.06am and arrived to find the patient had managed to get himself out of the vehicle before he was taken to Worcester Royal Hospital. He said, Our crews were told by bystanders he appeared to have had a medical episode prior to the collision. The spokesman said the man had no injuries from the crash and was taken to hospital to be assessed about whatever may have happened prior to the collision. Once the emergency crews had left the scene, the manager of Pizza Express began clearing tables and chairs away from the shards of glass. The crash also led to heavy congestion in College Street and delayed drivers. But I believe that Pizza Express is already up and running again. It's open again. Oh, that's good news. Well, yes. Good news for some. Good news, yes. <laughs> Troopers, one and all. My next headline is from Thursday, May the 16th, and I have a picture of an adoring mum with her beautiful pussycat in a pot collar. And the mother's fear after a shooter kills one pet and injures another. A distraught pet owner says she's being forced to rehome her cat after it was shot, just days after another of her cats was killed by a pellet gun. Chloe Wright said that her cat, Rosa, crawled home in agony after being shot with what a vet described as a pointed pellet used to cause the maximum damage. Rosa died the next day and just days later another of Mrs Wright's cats, Carly, also suffered two pellet wounds. The pet has not been able to leave the house since. Miss Wright, who's 23, said, I won't let Carly outside again around here, as I'm scared she will be killed just like Rosa was. Miss Wright, from Hillside in Kemsey, said she moved to the village from Worcester to provide a safer environment for her children, Josh, two, and Luca, four months. Miss Wright said... I remember the evening in March when Rosa came crawling back in agony after she'd been out all day having fun. She was screaming. It was heartbreaking. I took Rosa straight to the vets and she was given antibiotics to treat what was thought to be a bite wound. The vet x-rayed her and found a pellet wound, not a rounded pellet used for target practice, but a pointed round design to pierce flesh to kill. Whoever shot her was trying to cause serious damage. She died the day after she was shot. I think the pellet had done too much damage. Charlotte Butler from Vets for Pets in Worcester, which treated the rescued cats, said the shooter needs to be caught quickly before any more damage is done. Anyone concerned should keep their pets indoors and any information needs to be passed to the police. Make sure your animal is microchipped so if found injured by a member of the public we can trace the owner quickly. Miss Wright believes the killer lives in the area and the Worcester News reported last year on the death of Lucy Nicklin's cat, Bella. Bella was also shot in Kemsey. Vets at the time confirmed that she was also killed with a pellet gun. Miss Wright is now researching for a new 
now searching for a new home for Carly. She said she will be rehomed outside of Kimsey, as I think it would be selfish of me to keep her as a permanent house cat when she has been used to roaming free. I've started asking family and friends if they could give her a home, as it would be nice to see how she's doing. She would love somewhere rural as she likes hunting mice. Anyone with information on the shooting of the two cats, which happened in March, is asked to call the police on 101, and there are more pictures of her cuddling her pussy cats, which look lovely pussies. It's me then, isn't it? Okay, we've got some sport for you now. Director of Rugby, Alan Solomons, is relishing the prospect of having a New Zealand influence in his Worcester Warriors squad next season. Hooker Matt Mould and scrum half Jono Kito will join up with fellow Kiwi Michael Fatilofa at six ways ahead of the 2019-20 campaign. Samoa wing Milani Nanai will also swap life in New Zealand for England to play for Warriors in the Gallagher Premiership. The quartet have all played in the Mitre 10 Cup with Moulds and Keto combining at Northland and Nanai previously teaming up with Locke Fatilofa at Auckland. Moulds and Nanai are also currently teammates at Super Rugby Outfit Blues. I think a New Zealand influence is always positive, Solomon said. They are the best team in the world as things stand and my experience with New Zealand players has been extremely positive. That's not to say my experience with players from Australia, South Africa or elsewhere hasn't been positive. But the New Zealand boys understand the game and what's required to achieve at top level. Moulds is the latest New Zealander to agree to make the move to Warriors after signing an undisclosed deal. The 27-year-old made his Super Rugby debut in 2015 and has been a key member of the Blue squad since 2016. He is a very experienced player, Solomon said. I think he spent five seasons in the Blues squad and has been captain of Northland. I have spoken to some very close friends in New Zealand who are rugby people and they say he's an absolutely outstanding bloke and comes from an outstanding family. They say he's very good in the set piece, is mobile and like most New Zealanders is absolutely well versed in rugby so I think it would be a valuable acquisition for us. His whole background is in New Zealand, having come through the Canterbury Academy. Canterbury is the top province in world rugby. Having been involved in a New Zealand Seven setup too, and with Auckland Blues for five years, that's massive. Now I have a piece about cricket. <coughs> Headed Gidman, we didn't reach levels needed. Boss Alan Gidman says Worcestershire Rapids will use their boy. Whoops, the Royal London One Cup, One Day Cup, sorry, a quarter final exit as extra motivation for the Vitality T20 Blast campaign. Rapids crashed out by 147 runs to Somerset at Black Finch New Road in the Cup on Friday and starts the defence of their T20 crown on July the 11th at Knott's Outlaws. The county were bowled out for 190 after Somerset totaled 337-8 in their 50 overs as opener Tom Banton scored 112. 
They now return to Red Ball Action's home to Durham in Specsavers County Championship Division 2 tomorrow at 11am, so that'll be uh, already have taken place. First team coach Gidman said, I was disappointed with Friday naturally. You genuinely have to give credit to Somerset. They played a fantastic game all round and outplayed us. We didn't reach the levels of intensity or execution that we need to win any game and certainly not a quarter-final. Somerset did that and that's why we are on the losing side. We will certainly go away, learn and look at what we've done, done well in the competition and what we've done not so well. But we will certainly use this as motivation for T20 and for when the white ball stuff next year comes around again. Naturally, there are huge amounts of disappointment now. We want to win as many games as we can and progress as far as we can in competitions. We'd rather go get to this stage than get knocked out in the group stages. But at the same time, we're very disappointed to be knocked out now. This group wanted to go further and felt they could have. Suddenly it wasn't to be. It is unlikely that you're going to win every game in the group stages. You could argue, in the same breath, that Samit Patel played in an extraordinary innings for Scots against North Hans to get them over the line and get them home in semi-final. Yes, those are fine lines, fine margins. There are things that we could have done better and which didn't cost us victories, and some did. But rest assured, we will learn from this and work extremely hard at the areas we were short on to make sure or to give ourselves a good chance as possible uh, to make sure they don't cost us again. Jack Haynes will make his first appearance of 2019 for Worcestershire Seconds when they return to trophy action today against their Yorkshire counterparts at Kidderminster. Haynes suffered a foot injury during the winter which ruled him out of the England under-19s tours of Bangladesh. But the 18-year-old started on the comeback trail two weeks ago for Morven College, where he's in the final year of his studies by making 80 against Repton. Ex-Lestershire and Sussex bassman Angus Robson will make another appearance for the seconds after scoring 21 in the rain-ruined championship match with Warwickshire at Barnt Green. Left-down paceman Alan Wilkinson, who has appeared for the seconds in previous years and for Herefordshire, is also named in the side. Wicket-keeper Alan Milton will skipper the team as the county took look to get back to the winning trail in the over-50s competition. They beat Leicestershire by eight wickets at Royal Grammar School Worcester, but either side of that future went down by four wickets at Warwickshire and 54 runs at Lancashire. Thank you, Paddy. Now on this day, events that happened 
on this particular date, that's today's date, the 16th of May, but in previous years. 1763, on May the 16th, Dr. Johnson and James Boswell met for the first time at Tom Davies' bookshop in Russell Street, London. 1770, the Dauphin of France, later Louis XVI, married Marie Antoinette. Mm. 1919, here's a blast from the past. Pianist and entertainer Vladu Valentino was born in Wisconsin. His father wanted him to be an undertaker, but he changed his mind and his name. His name was then Liberace, and the rest, as they say, is history. 1920, Joan of Arc was canonised on May the 16th. 1929, the first Academy Awards ceremony was held in Hollywood. The name Oscar was not used for another few years. Emil Jannings was the first Best Actor and Janet Gaynor Best Actress. 1943, the Mona, Ada and Dams in Germany were attacked by 19 Lancaster bombers of 617 Squadron, led by Guy Gibson, using the bouncing bombs invented by Dr Barnes Wallace. 1956, Jim Laker, playing for Surrey, took all 10 Australian wickets for 88 in 46 overs at the Oval. A month later... Playing for England, he took 19 wickets in the test match against Australia at Old Trafford. 1983, London police began wheel clumping illegally parked vehicles. 1991, Queen Elizabeth II became the first British monarch to address the US Congress. 2007, Nicolas Sarkozy took office as President of France. On this day last year, some coffee lovers are being conned by suppliers fraudulently mixing inferior beans into products labelled 100% Arabica, scientists revealed. That's shocking. Speaking as a tea lover, I hope they do the same with tea bags. And some birthdays, Roy Hudd, the comedian, 83, Christian Lacroix, fashion designer, 68, Olga Corbett, former gymnast, 64. How many of us remember a very, very young teenager? Yes. Thin as a laugh, now 64. It makes me feel a century old. And the last birthday... Janet Jackson, soul singer, 53. Okay, we've got some letters for you now then. So my first letter is from Pete McNally of the Worcestershire Socialist Party. Sir, 
It is welcome that some county councillors are calling for a climate emergency to be declared in Worcestershire. The idea that a report should be ready in March 2020, however, seems more like business as usual. Also, while 100 big companies are responsible for 70% of all emissions of greenhouse gases, the impact one council can have will be limited. What is needed is democratic public ownership of the polluting firms to put our environment before profit. Here's a, a, a thing about the shambles piece. Worcestershire County Council announced to the world yesterday that all was going to plan with its scheme to repave the shambles in the city centre in a more aesthetically pleasing manner. Workers are labouring hard to make sure that the new paving scheme, which includes resurfacing the footways and carriageway, introducing segregated loading bays for delivery vehicles, planting suitable trees, improving the street furniture and upgrading the street lighting is taking place according to schedule. And few will argue that the street's facelift was not sorely needed. Many voices were raised when the shambles, one of the city's most pedestrian thoroughfares, were disfigured by the ugly black scars of tarmac, which marked where excavations had been needed to repair faults in underground services. Let us hope, therefore, that arrangements have been made to avoid such a situation in future, that if such works are unavoidable in future, and sometimes they are unavoidable, the relevant utility provider or the county council itself is tasked with making good the damage and restoring the handsome new surface which is now being provided. If the shambles were to be once again mutilated, as it was in such recent memory, then the anger of city centre traders and all of the members of the public who visit the shambles on a daily and weekly basis is like to be very great indeed. Getting things right like that is something that local authorities are expected by the public to do, and whether or not it's got its right, it will be noticed by the public and remembered when the time for local elections rolls round again. It was widely noticed in the wake of the most recent, just over two weeks ago, that there was a nationwide disenchantment with and reaction against the major political parties, fanned, no doubt, by the continuing farrago of the Brexit saga. By making sure that our city centre is as attractive as it can be, surely within the competence of the relevant authorities. Worcester may not be regarded as one of the UK's urban jewels in the way that Bath, York or Chester are, but it has its own charm, its own attractions, and its own history to be proud of, and taking proper care of its built environment is as important here as elsewhere. And lastly, Fair Point by Sam Greenway. It's about the Jeremy Kyle show. It was no surprise when the Jeremy Kyle show was taken off air this week. As often happens in TV, it took an incident, the death of a guest just days after his appearance on that show, to lead bosses to act. 
Confession time. I must admit I was once a viewer, as I was of its predecessor, Trisha, and the US talk show, Jerry Springer. These shows are the ultimate in reality t- television, people airing their dirty laundry and being held to account for cheating, stealing, and men revealed as fathers. It required no brain power to watch them. The audience reactions, booing and cheering, basically told you what to think. But it became obvious they were exploiting the guests, who clearly had mental health issues, amongst others, and should be nowhere near a television studio. Details began to emerge exactly why ITV had axed the show and deleted it from its catch-up service yesterday. Reports say the guest who died was a 63-year-old Steve Diamond who took a lie detector test to convince fiancé Jane Callahan he'd not cheated. But after it concluded he was lying, they split and within days he was found dead. The show is all about humiliating people for entertainment and those involved in the production know it. Carl's trusty sidekick, therapist Graham Stanier, once stormed off Sky News when the show was even mentioned. The format is also flawed. For instance, those lie detected results relied on for drama. Kyle claims it has a 96% accuracy, when in reality this is disputed with experts saying its accuracy could be as low as 61%. They say it's temporarily off-air, but I can't see how ITV can allow this to carry on. So you have to assume it's going to be axed for good like it should have been years ago. Okay, my next letter is from Wendy Hans from Upton Upon Seven. Sir, I read an interesting article in the magazine the news entitled Trump's visit should he get the red carpet the idea of a full state visit by President Trump has been controversial ever since Theresa May extended the invitation in January 2017 said the independent a diplomatic fudge last year involved Trump popping over for tea with the Queen and a slice of cake at Chequers but without the pomp and ceremony that accompanies the complete state occasion Even that low-key visit prompted big protests. Trump is now set to return for the full shebang, including a banquet at Buckingham Palace. The three-day visit at the start of June will coincide with events commemorating the 75th anniversary of the D-Day landings. It's a clever piece of planning that will allow people to focus on the past glories of the US-British alliance rather than on the character of the current US president. Many people would rather dwell on the latter, complaining on Twitter about how Trump is not worthy of our hospitality. Common Speaker John Burkow has voiced his opposition to allowing Trump to address both Houses of Parliament, as have Jeremy Corbyn and Vince Cable. America has become more detached from the Anglosphere, the countries have drifted apart. It appears that Trump is not the only obstacle to better US-UK relations. Now, my letter is uh, very relevant. It's, uh, are you ready for the switch? And it's from Anthony Clarkson, who's the Director of Organ Donation, Transplantation, NHS Blood and Transplant. Sir, the law around organ donation in England is changing. From spring 2020, all adults in England will be considered to have agreed to an organ donor when they die unless they had recorded a decision not to donate 
or in one of the excluded groups. We want everybody in Worcestershire to get ready for the change in the law by taking a moment to think about organ donation, making their organs, organs, organ donation decision and sharing that decision with family and friends. During Dying Matters Awareness Week, which is Monday the 13th to Sunday, May the 19th, we want to raise awareness of what's changing from spring 2020 and the choices available to everyone. We're asking people to get ready for the change. Those covered by the new law will still have a choice about whether they want to be an organ donor. You can opt in or out. Your family will always be involved to ensure that any recorded decision reflects your last known decision, so please talk to them. Organ donation is and always will be a precious gift, and one donor can save or transform the lives of up to nine people and help many more people if they also donate tissue. Have you decided whether you want to be a life-saving organ donor? Have you told your family? If you haven't already, please make your choice. Register it on the National Health Service Organ Donation Register and tell your family. To find out more and to register your organ donation decision, visit organdonation.nhl.org. Dot UK or call our hotline on 03-00303-2094. And that is Anthony Clarkson's advice. Mm. Now, fair mm. point on the letters page, mm. Mm. written by Robert Hale. Fixing the shambles is an issue that must be got right this time. Worcestershire County Council announced to the world yesterday that all was going to plan with its scheme to repave the shambles in the city centre in a more aesthetically pleasing manner. Workers are labouring hard to make sure that the new paving scheme, which includes resurfacing the footways and carriageway, introducing segregated loading bays for delivery vehicles, planting suitable trees, improving street furniture and upgrading street lighting, is taking place according to schedule. And few will argue that the street's facelift was not sorely needed. Many voices were raised when the shambles, one of the city's main pedestrian thoroughfares, was disfigured by the ugly black scars of tarmac, which marked where excavations had been needed to repair faults in underground services. Let us hope, therefore, that arrangements have been made to avoid such a situation in future that if such works are unavoidable in future, and sometimes they are, the relevant utility provider or the county council itself is tasked with making good the damage and restoring the handsome new surface which is now being provided. If the shambles were to be once again mutilated as it was in such recent memory, then the anger of city centre-based traders and of all the members of the public who visit the shambles on a daily and weekly basis is likely to be very great indeed. Getting things like that right is something that local authorities are expected by the public to do. 
and whether or not it is got right will be noticed by the public and remembered when the time for local elections rolls round once again. It was widely noticed in the wake of the most recent, just over two weeks ago, that there was a nationwide disenchantment with and reaction against major political parties, fanned no doubt by the continuing farrago of the Brexit saga. But making sure that our city centre is attractive as it can be is surely within the competence of the relevant authorities. Worcester may not be widely regarded as one of the UK's urban jewels in the way that Bath, York or Chester are, but it has its own charms, its own attractions and its own history to be proud of. And taking proper care of its built environment is as important here as elsewhere. Okay, my letters from Steve Smith of Lower Broadheath. Sir, I'm struck by the different responses from the government to two tragic events. The horrible loss of eight British lives, incidentally dwarfed by the 250 plus deaths of other nationalities in Sri Lanka, has prompted the recommendation that we should only travel to the country if essential. Meanwhile, there is no similar policy for people venturing onto the roads of this country, despite the average death toll of around 30 people each and every week. When can we expect more action from this government to protect us from the dangers of motor vehicles all around us? This is a piece by Chris Moncrief. <clears throat> the Brexit bogeyman has crept into Britain's town halls and has now played a major role in transforming the local government landscape in the country. In the local elections, the Conservatives have paid a heavy price for what they regard as their bumbling. Oh, not many regard, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> their bumbling, shambolic and feeble negotiations on the hard men of Brussels. Although, to be fair, the results were not so horrendous for the Tories as many of their supporters had feared. Even so, it has come to something when the Brexit minister, James Cleveley, said he would be happy with a loss of 500 council seats, i.e. the figure of 1,000 has been mooted, Labour too lost key seats, making a mockery of their claim to be the government in waiting. They will also probably feel the need to tone down their clamour for an immediate general election. The results also show the Vetus delivering a sharp and painful kick in the pants of the two main parties, warning them to get a grip on Brexit or face even more punishment at the general election. Both Labour and Conservatives will surprisingly rise in Liberal Democrat fortunes in the vote. All this, plus the imminent emergence of Nigel Farage's Brexit party, should set the alarm bells jangling in both Labour and Jory, Tory camps. I think that's really all that I need to say about that. <laughs> Thank you. And my last letter <coughs> is from Ruthie McNally of the Worcester Socialist Party. Sir, what a shame that the new owners, Sunrise, appear unable to negotiate a deal with the landlords of the HMV store in Worcester. After gaining a reprieve when the stores nationwide went into administration late last year, 
You would have thought that the lease would have been agreed at the time of the buyout. Despite the news that the door is still open to agree terms, it seems likely that the store will close. I know our shopping habits have changed, but it is the anarchic nature of the capitalist system that only looks to making short-term gains, hence climate change that threatens to destroy the planet. With so many city centre stores closing round the country, you'd think that landlords would want more stability with a regular income from rent coming in instead of facing an empty shop. I still find it astonishing that in Hereford, the Lakeland cooking shop closed after a failure to agree terms of rent and the shop is still empty several years later. Surely it would be better to accept a lower rent, but at least have some income coming in than none at all. After all, the new owners of HMV seem to think the Worcester shop is viable. Now we'll move on to some articles. Moira. Okay. Uh, my story is headed Bin Men Damaged Wall. A pensioner claims Bin Men have been continually damaged the wall outside his home for three years by wheeling his bin into it, but the council refuses to accept any fault. Michael Butcher said the city council's motto should be deny, deny, deny after his complaints were rebuffed multiple times, with the council suggesting the damage was more likely done by schoolchildren. The 73-year-old has accused the council of hiding behind a computer after a long-running row over email, his ended with them saying he has no evidence for his claims. Mr Butcher built the wall himself at his home in Stanley Road some years ago, transforming the crumbling 19th-century brickwork into a sturdier turret-like design. However, in 2016, he first noticed the brick piers on the top course kept coming loose. On September the 20th that year, he said he saw a bin man push the bin into the nearest hard object without looking and it hit the top layer of bricks on the turret. Suddenly everything slotted into place, said Mr Butcher. I stormed round to the council, but of course I couldn't speak to anybody. You have to speak to someone online then began a long-running back-and-forth with two different officers, which resulted in his complaint being escalated to stage two this year before the matter was closed. In one email, technical-slash-professional officer for environmental operations, Leslie Beach, suggested Stanley Row Primary School pupils and people heading to a nearby shop could be at fault. However, Mr Butcher said... The bricks would need to have been hit with significant force repeatedly to work the mortar completely loose, which he has repaired himself three times. It was a cheap shot to say it was the local children when I have witnessed it, he said. They, the council, say you'd have to be very precise to damage the wall in this way. But it's actually the opposite. The binmen are completely careless. He said he was annoyed that in her second stage report, Officer Alice Davy said there was no need to speak to him directly as part of the investigation. A different person was repeating what the other had said. It's impossible for the bin men to do it and blame the school children. They say I have no evidence. Is it not enough to witness it? Why can't they interview the person who saw? I felt so frustrated by the whole thing. They're trying to pass responsibility. I don't know if they are afraid of the bin men. 
He went on to say, This is the same council that threatened me with prison if I did not pay my council tax by direct debit instead of cheque. Small wonder turnout is so low in local elections, they should be ashamed of themselves. A city council spokesman said, We have conducted a thorough investigation into Mr Butcher's complaint. This included reviewing CCTV footage from cameras attached to our vehicles, visiting the property and interviewing relevant refuse crews. The City Council has found no evidence of any malicious behaviour or damage caused as a result of activity by our staff. And there's two pictures. The one is um, Michael Butcher reenacts how the wheelie bin would have damaged the wall. And the second picture is the undamaged bricks at the other side of Michael of uh, Michael Butcher's wall. Now this is a, a trust that has raised uh, money. A heartbroken mum who has set up a charity in memory of her four-year-old daughter has raised more than £500,000 to help other families in need. The Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust was founded in memory of Grace Kelly, who died just weeks after being diagnosed with cancer in 2014. The trust was created initially as a small fundraising appeal in memory of Grace, but in a bid to create something positive from their own tragedy, Grace's family has turned it into a lasting legacy to the little girl. Since 2016, the Trust has raised £575,000, worked to change the future of other children affected by childhood cancer. Grace's mum and founder of the Trust, Jennifer Kelly, said Grace was a loving, caring little girl who, above all, wanted to help others. She, and now many, so many other children, too, are part of this legacy. Without the support of our trustees and the team fundraisers and volunteers, this simply would not be possible. A big thank you also to the businesses, schools and community groups who have supported all we've done. From mud runs to school-sponsored walks, balls to fun days, as much has been done. The charity has founded three major research projects and is in the process of funding a fourth. The charity has also created and distributed almost 600,000 signs and symptoms awareness cards which have resulted in the earlier diagnosis of at least seven children. Dr Kelly from Kroll near Worcester said... We produce evidence-based publications for parents and children as well as provide information for the general practitioners and healthcare settings. We also now are in the position that we are able to provide support grants to newly diagnosed children in Worcestershire City, helping where it is needed most. The Trust aims to help save the lives of children by funding research providing education, raising awareness and working towards an earlier diagnosis for children with cancer. The Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust has been selected as the official charity of the Worcester City Run in 2019 in September. The charity is searching for runners 
and walkers to join them in both in the UK and the half marathon. Sorry, the 10K and the half marathon. For more information on the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust, visit gkcet.org. I think that's it. And there are various pictures of the fundraisers in action. Thank you, Paddy. Um, Now a double article looking at the work and views of the outgoing Mayor of Worcester and the incoming Mayor of Worcester. First of all, Jabba celebrates spectacular year. The city's outgoing mayor, Jabba Riaz, has remembered a spectacular year in which his persistent theme of love, not hate, was tested to the extreme in an eventful 12 months for the city. Handing over his mayoral chain to Councillor Allah Ditta, who will represent the city as mayor for the next year, Councillor Jabba Riaz said he hoped he had succeeded in his three key aims for his mayoral term. He said he wanted to make the mayor more accessible to Worcester's young people, uphold the message of peace and goodwill that Worcester was renowned for, and to reach out to the city's diverse communities and bring them all together. Councillor Riaz described his mayoral term as spectacular in a year which saw the extremely popular Worcester Stands Tall Giraffe Trail run through the city in support of one of his chosen mayoral charities, St Richard's Hospice, as well as the first ever Pride March through the city and the city's first Polish Heritage Day. Councillor Riaz also said he was honoured to posthumously award the freedom of the city to cricketing legend and personal hero Basil D'Oliveira. At the Guildhall on Tuesday, May the 14th, Councillor Riaz said he chose his Love Not Hate theme because he needed a way to bring all of the city's communities together in the wake of the EU referendum result and an increase in hate crime across the city. He led counter-protesters at an EDL march in the city last September, brandishing a placard carrying his message. He also said the thousands that attended a vigil for University of Worcester student Tom Jones and the thousands that queued to sign up to a blood stem cell register for five-year-old Oscar Saxelby Lee showed his message was starting to get through. He said... Being a relative young whippersnapper to the office of mayor brought its own expectations and pressures. Having not only to respect and uphold the position and the traditions of the office, but bring a fresh approach and appeal to a wider audience. Councillor Riaz said he had been truly humbled by the comments he had dusted the cobwebs off the mayorality and brought the role into the modern world. Councillor Lynn Denham said Councillor Riaz would be a hard act to follow. She said, Jabba is a true man of Worcester. You've done the city proud, you've done your family proud and you've done your community proud. And then new mayor appointed... The city's first Muslim mayor has been sworn in for a second time, 15 years after making history. 
Councillor Alar Ditta, who was the first Muslim to hold the office of Mayor of Worcester in 2004 and served as Deputy Mayor to Councillor Jabba Riaz last year, was elected by councillors at the Guildhall on Tuesday night, May the 14th. Accepting the position of Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Ditta said, I am very grateful for all of you who have supported this. When I first became a councillor, ex-chief executive of, um, of Worcester City Council, Philip Betts, said, there's a word of wisdom for you here. When you become a councillor, you're not representing your ward anymore. You're representing the city. And of course, I will represent wholeheartedly the city. Fellow Conservative Councillor Stuart Denley Maxwell said it was a great honour to be able to propose his very dear friend and he was sure Councillor Ditter, who was re-elected to Cathedral Ward earlier this month, would serve the city with great distinction and a tremendous amount of style as he had done previously. Councillor Andy Roberts said, in a world in which intolerance was a fact of life, it took a brave man and a man of great integrity to form a bridge between what is actually one community. Councillor Roberts said Councillor Ditter had shown he was such a man in his first term as mayor as he immersed himself in his duties and enhanced the reputation of the city. He added, what's even more special is on occasions he has continued to do that despite unfair criticism and perhaps even worse. A school in Worcester is celebrating after preserving its good rating in its latest Ofsted report. Nunnery Wood High School on Spetchley Road was visited by inspectors on March the 29th who said the school had improved significantly overall. The one-day inspection took place to assess whether or not the school had maintained its existing good rating. In the report, inspectors said, staff have created an ethos of excellence and ambition. The school's enrichment programme reflects a strong spirit of selflessness exemplified by pupils' fundraising work for charity. The report also praised the school's work to improve the education of disadvantaged pupils, saying pastoral leaders have been robust in their work to increase the attendance of disadvantaged pupils and reduce persistent absence. This has resulted in a significant reduction in persistent absenteeism and disadvantaged pupils' overall attendance is now close to that of other pupils nationally. Nunnery Wood High School head teacher Stephen Powell welcomed the findings of the report and is hopeful that the school will be upgraded to outstanding when Ofsted inspectors return. We are delighted at the result of this inspection. Our inspection was for one day and tested whether or not Nunnery remains good. Although one-day inspections cannot upgrade to outstanding, the Ofsted team were so impressed by what they saw, they were recommended that nunneries fast-track to a two-day inspection so that a new judgment may be given. This means there is a possibility that we can be upgraded to outstanding. One of the big steps forward we have taken is to increase the amount of extracurricular activities available to pupils, including visits and guest speakers. I have said to pupils, staff and parents that we are so proud of everyone for their hard work. It has been a real team effort to get to this point. Also included in the report were many positive comments from parents. One said, Nunnery Wood High School is a wonderful school at the heart of Worcester with excellent results and facilities. 
Another parent said that despite being a large school, each child is treated as an individual. Monday, May the 13th, marks the start of Journalism Matters campaign. This is to raise awareness of the importance of local newspapers, such as the Worcester News, and there are two stories we have published today which are examples of how we make a positive impact in the community. It is no great secret that fewer and fewer people are buying newspapers. But, despite that decline in sales, the Worcester News now reaches more people than ever before due to our website, Facebook page and Twitter account. Research shows that around 90% of the adult population in the city sees our stories. We are fortunate to be able to reach so many people and we believe we have a duty to use that power to support good causes. Today we have reported the latest on the five-year-old Oscar Saxelby Lee who is awaiting a stem cell transport in his fight against leukaemia. Donors were found after the Worcester News reported on Oscar's cancer battle and his family and the schools appealed for people to take swab tests to see if they were a match. Our coverage helped to inspire 5,000 people to attend testing days at Pitmaster Primary and a picture of people queuing to be swabbed, taken by a Worcester News journalist, went viral, with the, with the media across the world picking up on the story and, as a result, even more people taking the donor test. Today's front page story also seeks to help change a child's life. We're highlighting the plea for donations so that four-year-old Elena Evans, who has brain damage, can get the equipment she needs to communicate. Where else could her parents reach so many people with their appeal other than local newspaper? My article shows the law and other people in Worcester's ability to think outside the box and to show some compassion, which we hope will be effective. Reformed addicts shoplifting a blip. A hostile boss pleaded for understanding from magistrates after a reformed drug addict who now helps homeless people stole clothes from a shop during a blip in her recovery. Kerry Marnell appeared in the Worcester News in December as she'd turned her life around while living at St Paul's Hostel in Tallow Hill. She talked of breaking free from a cycle of drug addiction, shoplifting, prison and sleeping rough in the streets and was inspiring others at the hostel by giving talks. However, on Thursday she was at Worcester Magistrates Court where she admitted stealing clothes from the city's New Look branch. The court heard that Marnell had previously com committed more than 98 offences. Nicola Ritchie, prosecuting, said the 35-year-old went into New Look on April 25th and was watched as she was known to star from her previous thefts. She left the store when she realised she was being watched, Miss Ritchie said. 
Staff reviewed CCTV and she was seen selecting four items of clothes to the value of £70 and concealing them, then leaving without offering payment. Officers later arrested Marnell with the clothes returned to the store to be resold. Barry Newton, defending, told magistrates Marnell had made remarkable progress in turning her life around. Mr Newton explained that Marnell had been contacted out of the blue by someone from her past and this led to traumatic memories resurfacing and her relapse. Her last offence was December 2017. There has been no offending since, he said. Mr Newton said the good progress had even seen the mum of one give talks to justice officials and one of the magistrates said she had heard one of Marnell's speeches. Jonathan Sutton, St Paul's Hostel's chief executive, then addressed the magistrates, telling them he had only spoken in court for residents three times in six years but felt compelled to be there for Marnell. I do so today because I bring insight on Kerry, he said. She lives in our community. We know her well. She knows what she did was wrong. The steps she has made have been tremendous. She gives talks to groups of 50 on behalf of the hostel. In context of the progress she's made, I ask you to take into account what we have said. Sentencing Marnell, Fiona James, chairman of the magistrates bench, said, We have listened to everything said on your behalf. This was just a blip after two years of very good progress. Marnell was given a conditional discharge and ordered to pay costs of £135 and a victim surcharge of £20. Following the hearing, Mr Sutton told the Worcester News what Kerry did was wrong. Like many addictions, Kerry's masks the shame she feels from the abuse she received as a child. So it's important to remember that the way to change someone's behaviour resulting from addiction is not more shame and more punishment, but encouraging the person to reconnect and affirming the good in them. The court were humane because they understand recovery from a compulsive addiction takes time and they saw the huge step she has taken. Kerry feels humbled, but we all make mistakes. St Paul's will continue to help her recovery. A plan to demolish a derelict city centre nightclub to make way for a 100-bed student accommodation building has been submitted to the council. The eight-storey building would be built on the site of the eyesore former nightclub images in the Butts. The joint venture by Rengen Developments and Worcester-based property developer Thornlow Developments would include two eight-bed clusters, each sharing shared kitchen and communal space on all but two of the floors, with two five-bed clusters occupying each of the top floors. Plans submitted to Worcester City Council show the development includes a reception area, common room and storage for 100 bicycles. With the building located in the city centre and within walking distance of the University of Worcester, no car parking spaces would be provided.
The design statement included with the application said the developer would submit a full plan showing how students would be able to be dropped off and picked up at the beginning and end of each term to ensure they do not bring a car and park in residential streets. The building, opposite the Hive, has been derelict since Funk Nightclub closed down in February 2012. In 2014, the City Council's Licensing Subcommittee approved the site becoming a club named Mama Jamas, despite fierce opposition, sorry, opposition from West Mercia Police, who believed the venue would increase crime in the area, but the plans never came to fruition. A plan for student accommodation on the site has been supported by the City Council during pre-consultation advice. The latest 100-bed plan was altered from the original 112-bed nine-storey plan to make the accommodation mm. building the same height as the hive. Mm. A consultation event mm. was held in Worcester by the developer at the end of February with 20 visitors. Mm. Despite the small mm. numbers, the developer said the reaction was positive, with mm. residents relieved the building would not become a new nightclub, but some were still concerned by the prospect of antisocial behaviour in the area. Consultation on the plan ends on May the 31st. Comments can be made via the planning section of the City Council's website. The application number is 19-00247-FUL. Now, my piece is called Inmates Locked Up in City Centre. Nine prisoners were tried and jailed outside the Guildhall for crimes committed in the workplace including not making tea for colleagues, all to raise thousands for St Richard's Hospice. The inmates went through a mock trial inside the building's old courtroom at 10am on Friday before being shackled and led outside where they had to raise the 500 each to be released. Local branches of NatWest, ASDA, Majestic Bingo and One Stop were represented with others doing time, including Worcester City Football Club chairman Steve Good. The latter said he was persuaded to take part after a charity game at Pershaw Town, with a percentage of the profits going towards the city-based hospice. When I went up to deliver the money on behalf of Worcester City and Pershaw Town, I was asked if I'd like to take part. It's a great cause, and next season's Richards are going to be our main charity associated with the club, he said. Mr Good said he was about missing his TV. The food's good, but I got involved. I've got a convict here who smuggled some jelly babies in. To be fair, if one of those keeps the officer talking, we can pop over to Costa. <laughs> he went on to say it's a bit of fun and a worthy cause, but said he was a bit worried about the horrendous weather over the last couple of days. If it had rained, we could still have done it. We would have still had a smile on our faces, but the sponsor for MS would be a bit wit. Event organiser Rhea Simmons of the hospice said while this kind of event has been done before in the city, it is the first time Sir Richards has done it. It's a nice event where companies are coming together to work with the hospice, she said.
All monies raised will go towards supporting our care. Whoever raised the least amount of money had to spend some time in Worcester's <laughs> Guildhall old jail cells. <laughs> and a pair of pictures of them striped. <laughs> and now, That's briefly, it. to end with, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. something involving the mm-hmm. feel-good factor. Mm-hmm. Kind offer after theft. Mm-hmm. A family have offered to pay mm-hmm. to replace chicks which were stolen mm-hmm. from a school, leaving the children heartbroken. Mm-hmm. Children from Lippard Grange Primary School were devastated when they realised six silky chicks they had been looking after for months had been stolen from their outdoor coop. Now, Neil Westwood, whose nine-year-old son, Morley, attends a school, has offered to pay for replacement chicks. He said, the older children looked after the chicks every day. Everyone was upset to hear the chicks had been stolen. I can't believe someone would do this, and I want to know what their motive is. I hope the thieves feel guilty. Mandy Redfern, early years teacher at the school in Anchorage Green, Worcester, said the thefts had broken the hearts of the nursery-age children and said the school cannot afford to replace the chicks because they cost um, about £30 each. So many people have contacted the school offering their help and wanting to donate. Oh. Well, now we've reached the end of this recorded edition. Thank you to Paddy, Moira and Barry for reading and recording. We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll come back for more next week. So we'll say our goodbyes and then the obituaries will follow. So for now, best wishes from me, Evelyn and from all the team. Goodbye. Goodbye. Right now, the obituaries. Dawn Blizzard passed away peacefully May the 2nd, 2019, aged 73 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, May the 22nd at 2.30pm. No flowers by request, please. Colin Anthony Hope passed away peacefully at St Richard's Hospice on April 23rd, 2019, aged 70. A service to celebrate Colin's life will take place at Worcester Crematorium at 3.15pm on Wednesday, May 22nd. Terence John Jones, Terry, retired lecturer at Bromsgrove College, passed away peacefully at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on April the 29th, aged 89 years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, May the 22nd at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. Ethel Myrtle Marsden, Myrtle, formerly Priest Nay Southall passed away peacefully at Seven Heights Nursing Home with her family by her side on April the 27th, 2019, aged 90 years. Funeral service to be held at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, May the 22nd at 11.30am. Flowers welcome. Betty Joyce Holmes passed away peacefully on May the 5th Sorry, 9th, 2019, aged 97 years. 
The funeral service is to take place at Wester Crematorium on Wednesday, May the 29th at 10am and it requests family flowers only, please. Irene Mary Mapp of St John's Worcester passed away peacefully on the 15th of April 2019, aged 98 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, May the 17th at 1.45pm and again a request for family flowers only. Royston John Monk Roy of Noble House, Worcester passed away peacefully on April the 15th 2019, age 73. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, May the 21st at 12.15. Wear Everton blue if possible and family flowers only are requested. Mary Parsons died peacefully on April the 27th, 29, at Davenham in Malvern, aged 100 years. A memorial service at 3pm on Monday, May the 13th, which will be held at St Kenham's Church, Clifton-on-Team, Worcester, with family flowers only. John Trevor Chase from Old Storage died peacefully at home on April eighteenth, aged 86. The funeral has already taken place. Muriel Kathleen Lord, née Bolt, died peacefully aged 94 with her family around her on Thursday, May the 2nd in Mumbles, and the funeral has already taken place. Doreen Jane Carter, née Ingram, passed away peacefully surrounded by her loving family on Wednesday, May the 8th, aged 97 years. Service and cremation at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, May the 30th at 1.45pm. Family flowers only, please. Minnie Dorothy Chisnell of St John's passed away peacefully on May the 4th, aged 97 years. Funeral service at Sanson Walk Baptist Church on Thursday, May the 23rd at 2.30pm, followed by private committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please. And lastly, Georgina Till, née Castell, passed away peacefully on May the 8th. The funeral will take place on Tuesday, May the 21st at 10am at Worcester Crematorium. Please wear something other than black. Mm. Family flowers only. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 